You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. I'm Anthony Kastrovitz. I am joined, as always, by Jordan Bastian. JB, the new year. Did you make any New Year's resolutions? Uh, you know what? No, I don't. I, I don't do resolutions. As I say, you don't do resolutions. You're above that. No, I, I, I try and wake up every day throughout the entire year with a, with a daily resolution of what I can do to be a better person that day. And then when I don't do it, then I, then I just do it the next day. I mean that's that's a beautiful. I got a tear in my eye thinking about your your daily motivation. Do you, are you one of those people who writes something on a chalkboard that that's there when you wake up and and uh, you know propelling you forward for that morning? No, not usually. No, there's no chalkboard. It's just sort of you wake up and you think of something and then you don't do it and so you push it push it back to the next day. Oh, okay. Well, I think you should resolve <laughs> to write this stuff down and have it on a. On a I want to know how many Bruce Springsteen concerts you have in line for 2016. Uh, currently two, and That's working it? on a third. Yeah, working on a third. We'll see how that develops, but uh, uh, definitely uh, Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Pittsburgh is opening night of the tour, and i uh, got to go to that Cleveland show, of course. So That's about the, the plan. The spring training date. That's, that's what I'm working on. That's the one that's... Uh, uh, in the hopper, so that's that's our resolution. But let's talk about the Indians. What's the Indians' resolution for 2016 in your mind? Uh, the Indians' resolution should be to uh, produce more offense, especially in April. Um, I think the the rough starts over the last couple years, as we've talked about ad nauseum on these podcasts, kind of doomed this team um, under the Terry Francona era, and I think that's got to be sort of the, the change this year, and that's obviously going to be an uphill climb because Michael Brantley's out. So I've tried to take some steps by getting a guy like Rajay Davis in here um, to sort of help shore up that outfield. But getting off to a better start and getting that offense rolling um, to help support what should be one of the game's best pitching staffs, again, I think that's got to be the goal. Well, on that front, obviously the uh, Indians made a move in late December uh, after things broke down from uh, the Todd Frazier trade standpoint. He goes to Chicago, and uh, immediately after that, as announced, the Indians, uh, or word comes out, the Indians have signed Mike Napoli to a one-year deal, $7 million bucks. Uh That should be made official here in this first week of the new year. Uh, what are your thoughts on Napoli? Uh, obviously, it's a right-handed bat, and it's probably not the quote-unquote big right-handed bat uh, so many fans clamor for, um, but coming off a, a 2015 season where he struggled in the first half and, and caught fire in the second after the trade to Texas, what are your thoughts on Napoli and how he fits into this offense? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot going on over the last couple of years with him health-wise between you know hip issues a few years ago and um, the well-documented the issues he had with uh, sleep apnea and kind of the very – invasive surgery to correct some of those issues and you know so I think last year you could almost look at it as a year where he was trying to um, even sort of get a, a footing on, on himself health-wise and, and produce under some unique circumstances and 
obviously in the second half, you know, maybe that helps the Indians believe that, you know, he kind of got used to some of those adjustments as he was going, and maybe he's getting closer to being the type of right-handed power hitter that he was a few seasons ago. And obviously uh, the affordability of that deal, given the circumstances, is attractive to a team like the Indians. Um, So I like it. I mean, I can see why they did it. Um, You know, he can help out against left-handed pitching, especially uh, can provide some plus defense at first base. So continue this push towards Carlos Santana being more of a DH uh, which they obviously started shifting in that direction yes, uh, last year. You know, I think that's been the emphasis. I think pushing um, pitching and defense as the main uh, avenues for success, I think we've seen those steps being taken over the last season. I think this just sort of continues the fall in line, and maybe it adds that right-handed bat to the middle of the lineup. Maybe you don't put as much pressure on Santana to be your cleanup hitter. Uh, you know, All those things kind of make sense for this move. So I can see why they did it. I know there's a lot of Indians fans who were disappointed they didn't get Todd Frazier, but from everything we've heard and everything we've read and all the sources we've talked to, it seemed like the Reds were pretty adamant uh, with a pretty high asking price for Todd Frazier from the Indians, and the Indians weren't willing to go down that type of road. I got to tell you, and it's not exactly uh... – Sexy for a first baseman, but I'm probably more optimistic uh, from a defensive standpoint with this move than the offensive one. Uh, just, it was a clear upgrade over Santana defensively, and it, and it fits with the overall uh, you know, mindset and scheme of this club to protect its pitching staff, which obviously was a huge reason they were even in contention in the second half because of the improvement of the defense. And now right. uh, Napoli should conceivably add to that, although – Boy, I mean, Santana's a 30-year-old DH. I guess, you know, my, big, my biggest question is how he just adjusts to that mentally. Obviously, his numbers uh, when he's been a DH have not been as strong as when he's been in the field. Uh, you, you see that sometimes, but uh, this, this can be quite an adjustment for him if it's more of a full-time basis. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's something that maybe this is smart to do it in the off season, so you can go into spring training and you give him the spring to sort of come to terms with the idea that he's going to be uh, a DH most of the time because that is something that he has voiced a little, um, you know, displeasure with in recent years, you know, that kind of spawned his experiment to try and become a third baseman a few springs ago. Um, And obviously that didn't work out, so they moved him to first, and he played pretty well at first for, uh, you know, in, in stretches but not well enough. And one thing that Terry Francona really said multiple times last year, that in order to be a good first baseman, Santana really has to work hard at it. You know, it doesn't come as naturally to him as some other guys. Um, And I don't think they were seeing the type of um, consistency at the position defensively that they liked. So, you know, he's tried to fight that path to being a DH for a couple of years. Um, When he went from catching to first base, third base, back to first. And now, um, those steps have been taken. I think maybe you have prepared him now, uh, given him enough time for him to prepare to be used to that idea and for them to sort of stress that it's his offense and his unique offensive attributes that make him a really valuable player. Well, he's had quite an interesting career already to date. I mean, he goes from profiling as, well, you're getting enormous value out of that bat uh, relative to him being in the catching position. Right. And then obviously uh, has the struggles defensively behind the plate. 
Then he's going to become the world's first uh, third base slash catching hybrid, and that obviously did not catch on. Then he was surprisingly good defensively at first base uh, a couple years back, and then uh, last year about more what you expect from him defensively at first base to go with uh, an offensive decline. So he'll be uh, uh, a huge question mark for this club in 2016. Uh, Brantley, of course, is another one. Uh, Rajay Davis, I don't know. Last time I did this podcast with you was before uh, the Rajay Davis signing. Uh, I was a, a player that Jerry Francona likes a lot. Uh, brings some speed to the table and uh, some positional flexibility as well with Brantley out for who knows how long. Yeah, and I think it's the again when you look at it from the Indians' perspective. Like, granted, we'd, you'd love to see Cespedes out there or Upton or you know one of these these big name marquee free agents that you and I know that. They just realistically can't go out and, and purchase. Um, but from the Indians' perspective of knowing Michael Brantley's coming back, you're, to target a player that you need to be able to convince that you are going to be a starter for a month, month and a half, two months, and then we're going to have to ask you to go into a backup role, you know, that's a tough sell when you're going through free agency. When you know a MVP caliber player like Michael Brantley is coming back, and you have a, an assortment of guys that you're going to be mixing and matching for center and right. You know, I think Roger Davis sort of fits that mold, the, the veteran guy who can come in and kind of embrace that role and bring some maybe leadership to the clubhouse that a veteran can. Now that you have guys like Avilas, you know, no longer with the team, you know, he can fill in as, as an everyday guy while Brantley's out. And dependent upon what Chisholm Hall does in right or Almonte does in center or some of the other backup options they have, you know, Davis can either continue on as a starter after Brantley returns or, you know, be easier to convince him to move into sort of that fourth roving outfielder type role. You know, so I think from that perspective, this was another good signing for the Indians. Um, like I said, I mean, it's a, it's a tough sell. If you're trying to get a free agent to say, you know, we want to bring you in, but, hey, we got this guy coming back. And once he's back, we're not sure where you're going to play. You know, that's a tough sell, so I think they got a good guy for that type of role. Yeah, they had a tough sell in the outfield, and they had probably a, a good sell in, in the infield, particularly uh, at first base slash DH as far as just playing time, and there weren't a lot of obvious uh, fits for some of these, uh, you know, lower-tier, mid-tier guys uh, in the first base slash DH market. So the Indians, you know, left to the forefront as far as a, a team able to offer playing time and and Napoli signed on with that. You think about some of the alternatives there, Justin Morneau and Pedro Alvarez. I got to tell you, JB, we went in this winter. I, I thought there's no way the Indians don't come out with Justin Morneau. He just seemed like he just seemed like right up their alley, a bounce back type guy. Obviously he's battled concussion issues. He can still hit when he's healthy, but um uh it seems like they basically prioritize two things the right handed bat and the defense. And for Morneau and Alvarez, obviously two left handed bats and uh and especially Alvarez does not rate anywhere near as well defensively at first base. Right, and I think the Indians viewed Alvarez sort of as a DH. You know, if they would have gone down that road, I think it would have been Carlos Santana at first base. Um, and I just don't think they were comfortable doing that. So you had not only were, is it a left-handed bat, it's a left-handed bat that you kind of view as a, as a full-time DH. And as we know, the flexibility of the DH position is something that Terry Francona really values. So, I mean, there probably will be times when they're facing a tough righty. Maybe Napoli sits and Santana moves to first, and you kind of see some shifting around in that lineup. 
Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Morneau looked from the start like the type of player that the Indians would target and potentially bring in, and they did target him. And I think the balance of the lineup via the right-handed uh, hitter is something they really valued. It's something that the lineups needed for a few years. And granted, this isn't necessarily the answer. It's a one-year deal, you know, so it helps for now. And, and then the question of what they're going to do there will remain again when we're talking on this podcast next offseason. Sounds good. And if you resolved this morning, JB, to give 110% on your first Indians podcast in 2016, you you made it happen. I hope that was on your uh, daily mental list of, uh, of things to take care of. Uh, as soon as, as I woke up, the, new year. the only thing I was thinking about today. As it should be. As it should be. I want to thank JB for joining us. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extras, Cleveland Indians edition. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.